You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 12 of Ask Concussion Doc. I am your host, Dr. Cameron Marshall. Uh, for those of you watching us live on Instagram and Facebook, Hello, for those of you not able to or want to send this to your friends, you can always find us on iTunes Podcasts or SoundCloud. We also have these videos up on our YouTube um, for a lot of you, so if you want to review them afterwards, you can always do so. So we have three main questions today. Um, The first one is regarding pediatrics and the difference between treating children versus treating adults. Uh, There's a few key differences to make note of. And then leading right into that very nicely is the discussion of Rowan's Law, which is new legislation in Ontario. Um, There has been legislation in the U.S. since about 2009, and um, I think every state had it by 2012. Uh, Canada's a little bit behind, and we finally have new legislation in Ontario, one of the Canadian provinces this year, uh, which is the only province to do so, so far. And then we have a question from email uh, regarding long-term effects of concussions and multiple um, concussions. I was just pulling something up here. Let's see what this one is. And I'll find it after. Okay, so the first question um, on Instagram, the question is, do you treat pediatric concussion differently uh, than you would in an adult in terms of the rehabilitation process? Are there special considerations that should be taken into account? Do younger individuals tend to respond more to any type of rehab uh, and what could attribute to that? So we have a few questions here. The first thing from a rehab standpoint, I mean, there's obvious uh, things to consider with, with children. Um, trying to even establish what their symptoms are is sometimes a little bit more difficult because their vocabulary is not, you know, the same level. It's sometimes tough for, their, for them to um, discuss their symptoms or to be able to convey their symptoms in a way that would allow you as a clinician to understand exactly what they're feeling and how they're feeling. And um, so one way to help this out would be utilizing the child version of the SCAT, which just basically puts the symptoms into terminology that might be a little bit more understandable uh, for a child. So instead of like nauseousness, it says, you know, does your, does your tummy feel upset? Do you feel like you're going to be sick? That type of thing. Uh, so just using different terminology when you're speaking to a kid obviously is, uh, is very important. When discussing acute management, I know this discussed mostly on the rehabilitation side of things, but acute management, there's some things to consider because your number one concern with acute management is ruling out more serious brain injuries such as bleeds, uh, fractures, um, swelling in the brain, that type of thing. And so there are certain red flags you should look for in an adult. And the typical um, guideline criteria that, that has been found to be the most sensitive and specific for finding uh, positive findings on CT scans. So this is what you should be doing in your office to rule out whether or not you need to be you know, sending this person immediately to the hospital for any type of imaging. Uh, and that is called the Canadian CT head rule. There's also one uh, that was developed in the United States called the New Orleans Criteria. However, in studies of head-to-head, New Orleans compared to the Canadian CT head rule, the Canadian CT head rule seems to be more more accurate in determining um, the presence of positive findings on CT imaging. So if you want to look up what the Canadian CT head rule is, that is an important consideration. Now, but that is for adults. 
The best criteria for children is called the PCAIRN. So this is for um, children. There's one, there's two different rules. There's one for children under the age of two. And then there's also for one, uh, you know, over the age of two. And so um, I would never obviously deal with, you know, babies that have had potential concussions. Um, and I probably would be referring anybody on that was, you know, five years or younger as well. Uh, but I do get a lot of, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds. And so just the way that the, um, the, the management decisions happen and the, the red flags that you're watching out for, they're a little bit different. So um, first of all, there's kind of this algorithm to follow. So if you want to look it up, it's called P-E-C-A-R-N. Um, it's pediatric emergency um, something. I can't remember what the actual acronym stands for. But out of the other one, there's the catch, there's the chalice, there's the PCARN. The PCARN has been found to be um, the best one. And so basically, if they have a Glasgow coma scale or other signs of altered mental status or palpable skull fracture, if yes, then a CT scan is recommended. If no, then you're looking for occipital, parietal, or temporal scalp hematoma, history of a loss of consciousness lasting more than five seconds, or a severe mechanism of injury, or if the child is not acting normally as per the patient, then a CT would be recommended, um, or at least in, in our case would be a referral to the hospital to try and, and make sure that, that a CT scan um, uh, would be done. And um, so look that up. The peak care, and that's important for acute management. Now, when it comes to rehabilitation, I, I handle it the, pretty much the same way, and you just keep those things in mind, the differences in children. Um, they're going to be going back to school versus going back to work, obviously, so there's certain things you have to keep in mind for that. Uh, academic settings, how are their marks doing, how are they socially, um, you know, those types of things are, are stuff to keep in mind. In terms of the actual rehab process of what you would do, um, I typically will follow the same course of action, whether they're an adult or they're a child, um, but I just have different things in mind. So I'm still going to do my physical exertion testing. I'm still going to examine ocular motor function. I'm still going to examine um, vestibular balance impairments. I'm still going to examine their C-spine. I'm still going to, uh, you know, take into account learning disabilities and all that same stuff that you would do with an adult. Um, and, and for things like return to play, you're going to probably make those decisions a little bit slower and make sure you're really taking your time. Uh, there's some evidence to suggest that kids take longer to recover. However, there's also mixed, uh, mixed evidence on that as well. So I think with kids, the big thing is being precautious, uh, taking those precautions. Uh, looking at the different um, decision rules that can help you out in terms of when to refer in the situation that you might be dealing with something more serious. When in doubt, sit them out. And also from a clinician standpoint, when in doubt, refer them out as well. I think that's something important that we don't, uh, we don't necessarily take into account um, as much as we should. Okay. The next question is, what is Rowan's Law and what does it mean for sports in Ontario? So like we said before, Rowan's Law's new legislation in Ontario is named after Rowan Stringer, who uh, was a high school rugby player that died in 2012 following multiple concussions. This is um, a similar legislation to the Zachary Leistead Law in the United States. Now, different states will have different regulations in terms of what the law means for that particular state. And in Ontario, we have the first version of the legislation that's already come out. And this is the stuff that's kind of already under, already in effect. 
but we're still going through the regulatory process to figure out all the ins and outs of what it's actually going to mean, and that could take a year. So we don't quite yet know all of it, but what we do know is the stuff that's right now included in that legislation. So the first point is there needs to be an annual review of concussion awareness resources um, at the association that prevents, identifies, and manages concussions that coaches and educators would be required to review before registering a sport. Essentially, it's coach and trainer education and teacher education on an annual basis. So sports programs are going to be looking for uh, educational programs that they can use to educate their coaches and trainers every year. Uh, schools, uh, the same thing. Now, we've had at Complete Concussion Management, we've had a coach and trainer education program, a teacher education course that's an hour long. If anyone's interested in that, it's currently available online for $15, but if you ask us, we'll be, uh, we'll be happy to give you that course for free. So if you're at a sports association and you uh, are looking for something for education, let us know. We'll send you over a promotional code that'll get you around the, uh, the cost of that, of that course. The second thing that's involved in Rowan's Law is, a, is an immediate removal from sport uh, under the suspicion of concussion, obviously. And so they have removal from sport and return to sport protocols uh, to ensure that an athlete is immediately removed from sport if they're suspected of having sustained a concussion and giving them the, the needed time to heal properly. This is left up to the actual sports associations themselves. There's nothing prescriptive in the legislation that says your program must have this, your program must have that. So there, there's still a lot on the table in terms of what a sports association would have to do to determine um, what their return to play protocol is going to be, what their um, uh, removal from sport protocol is going to be. And again, this is something that we at Complete Concussion Management have helped out you know, hundreds and hundreds of sports associations with is developing the policy around returning to sport, how to, how to assess for the concussion on the sideline, when to know, when to pull somebody. That goes into the coach and trainer education um, as well. There's nothing in the legislation right now that dictates which healthcare professionals that an individual with a concussion would need to see. Uh, that may come out in the legislation, it may not, but my guess would be that it's going to be a healthcare professional who has training in concussion, um, not necessarily prescriptive, but just recommending that they see somebody who is who has that additional training. And so uh, for you healthcare professionals looking for training, uh, that's another thing you can look at complete concussions to help you with. The last one, the last point that's actually mandated by the legislation is a concussion code of conduct that would set out rules of behavior to minimize concussion. So this is things like like eliminating hits to the head, eliminating aggressive or suspending aggressive behavior, um, that type of, of, of thing that would be signed by every player at the start of the year to say, these are the rules that I agree to abide by in order to help make this sport safer for everyone else involved. So those are the three points. And the last one is Rowan's Law. Day. So that one is already enacted as well, and that is the third, the September, end of September. It's at, the, it's at the end of September. I think it's the last Wednesday of the of September. So keep your eyes out for that. That is just to raise awareness around concussion. That's something that uh, we agree 100% strongly with and uh, something that we will be promoting as well. And so you can take part in that. Uh, look up Rowan's Law Day if you want to join up on that um, campaign. So that's it. That's that's all there is for Rowan's Law. So basically, coach and trainer education, uh, removal from sport, and return to play protocols, um, 
and a concussion code of conduct as well as Romans Law Day. All in all, I think that's a good thing for Ontario, and I think that other provinces will probably start, start to follow suit on that. Last question is via email. I'm looking for information about the long-term effects of multiple concussions. It's a big question. Uh, what research exists on the effects of multiple concussions? So it depends on what you define by multiple. The, the truth of the matter is we don't really know a lot about how many concussions is too many concussions. The obvious consensus is that you know the more you get, the worse it is. Um, however, we don't really even know a lot about that. There's the obvious um, CTE thing that's going on right now in, uh, in former professional athletes and we don't really have a lot of information as to, uh, or we don't have a lot of good quality research studies on CTE and where, uh, you know, is that a result of multiple concussions? Is that a result of other life events? Um, whether it be, you know, um, medications that athletes may have been taking during or after their career, whether or not that's due to, um, you know, potential environmental issues or, you know, it, there's, there's so many variables that can happen over someone's life to try to narrow it down to concussions is an extremely difficult thing to do. And I think that's why there's so many questions still remaining on whether or not concussions actually result in the long-term effects or whether or not it's something else. I think it's a very plausible idea that multiple concussions over time can result in potential neurodegenerative disorders, obviously, and I think that's what a lot of researchers are focusing their time on. However, we really don't have any causative link yet between concussions, multiple concussions, or even head trauma uh, and, and CTE or long-term neurodegenerative effects. Now, there was a couple, there's been a couple research studies that have shown that if you've had a concussion before, you're more likely to get one in the future. Those studies also have a lot of the same flaws because if you've had a concussion more, if you've had a concussion in the past and you're more likely to get one in the future, things like style of play, right? Maybe those players are more aggressive to begin with and that puts them at more risk of getting another concussion. So it's not really that their brain is more vulnerable or they're, uh, they're now more susceptible to getting concussions. It's maybe their style of play has put them in position to get a concussion in the first place, but also that they haven't made a change in how they play, it's also putting them at the same risk to get multiple concussions. Maybe this person is more of an enforcer role. Maybe this person plays a position that puts them more at risk to getting concussions. And so is there increased susceptibility to future concussions in the event you've had a concussion before? I don't think we have enough evidence yet to show that either. And actually there was a study done in Ottawa, and I think it was uh, uh, Blaine Hoshizaki's, or uh, Warren, was it Warren? Like, anyway, um, Dr. Hoshizaki's group in Ottawa, they studied biomechanics of impacts, and they found that kids coming into the emergency department had the same level of impact when they reconstructed their injuries the same force generation, the same force level in the impact if they had concussion before or if they didn't. And basically they concluded that there seemed to be no increased susceptibility, meaning that kids that had had a previous concussion weren't getting concussed with less force based on their reconstruction of, of the injuries themselves. And so um, again, I think there's um, speculation that having you know concussion makes you more at risk for getting another one but i think there's a lot of variables that we still need to consider style of play etc and when we break it down and we actually look at it we don't see that there's an increased vulnerability at least or they're not getting concussed with lower force so there's that 
that side of things. Now, when we talk about recovery, right, if you've had a concussion before, will subsequent concussions take more time to recover? And the answer to that is also, well, we don't truly know, but a lot of the research has found that previous concussion is associated with prolonged recovery in future concussions. But again, there's a lot of variables in that. How much does anxiety and other mental health factors weigh into that? If you've had a concussion before and you're paying attention to all the media hype around it, does that now make you focus on the fact that, well, I've had two concussions already before and that makes you more anxious and anxiety is also known to prolong recovery for concussions. And so there's a lot of variables that are out there in the world right now that could potentially be influencing this whole phenomenon. And we need to really be considering these things. Um, we do know that if you do have a concussion and you are not recovered from that concussion and you get another one during that recovery phase when there's this vulnerability, when your energy levels and your metabolic levels in your brain are low, we do know that getting another concussion during that period of time, that can create an additive and cumulative effect and that can definitely prolong your recovery for a very, very long time. Once you're outside of that recovery zone, there's been animal studies where they found that multiple concussions, as long as they're spaced out far enough where that metabolic recovery has fully taken place, there's no additive or cumulative effect. Um, one of the studies that I quote on this was an animal study that had each group got five concussions. And one group got five concussions spaced out by only a day. So it was a concussion every day for five days. Group two got a concussion every week for five weeks. Group three got a concussion every month for five months. Well, the recovery for a, a rat is, you know, five to seven days type of thing. So the group that was getting a concussion every day for five days, they showed this tremendous impairment uh, after the study was done, but also a year later, they were still impaired from those concussions. But the group that had a concussion every month for five months was no different than a group that never had a concussion before. Both. Uh, one month after the study was finished and also one year after the study was finished. So all of them got five concussions, but the only difference was how spaced out they were. So when you're talking about information on multiple concussions, what research exists? So the jury is still out on whether or not um, having a concussion actually increases your susceptibility to having another one uh, because it's usually in sports and there's a lot of variables that we haven't taken into consideration so we don't really know. The jury is still out on whether or not concussions, multiple concussions and head trauma actually causes CTE, whether or not that's a normal phenomenon, a part of aging, whether or not that's due to other things like you know, opioid medications or alcoholism or um, you, know, you name it, environmental things, who knows. Um, so the jury's still out on that. And also, uh, recovery, I would say it's pretty safe to say that if you had a concussion before, you know, you may start to have prolonged recoveries afterwards. Now, whether or not that's due to the brain being vulnerable, whether or not it's due to the anxiety that you may be feeling of the fact that you've had a couple before and now you're worried that this one may be, you know, a really bad one or whatever. So, um, I know that with athletes, what we consider when we're talking about retirement for an athlete, generally the rule of thumb is, are you getting concussions with less and less force? So you've had a couple of concussions. Are, each time you get a concussion, is it happening with less and less force? And number two, each concussion you get, is it taking you longer and longer and longer to recover each time? If the answer is yes, then generally the, the recommendation is to stop playing high risk or contact sports. 
So having two concussions, your long-term effects are probably zero to none. Uh, having 10 concussions uh, probably increases your chances for having some long-term effects, but the question then remains, how close together were they? Did you have proper recovery between, the t between them? Um, and also, what was your recovery like in between? Were you getting longer and longer recoveries? Were they happening easier and easier and easier? If so, let's pull you out of sports. Um, so that's a big, big, big question. Um, <laughs> this person sent it in via email, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to type all this out. And so that's why I figured I would answer it here, because like I said, there's so much stuff to consider in this space. Um, and that's why kind of having that full picture, I think, will really help people. And that's why for our practitioners, we always try to give them as much of that scientific evidence as possible so that they can actually have these types of conversations with their patients and be able to talk about, you know, here's, the, here's what the research says, uh, here's what we do know, here's what we don't know, and here's all the potential variables that we need to consider uh, to help educate patients. Because once patients are educated, you can calm them down. It improves the overall psychological well-being, I think, and it overall improves the likelihood of them having a proper and full uh, recovery. Um, any other questions come in there during that? Okay. All right, guys. So that's it for episode number 12. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. And as always, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Follow us on Instagram and uh, Facebook and everything else. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.